rejoice with you this morning. I was thinking that what, what wonderful songs we've had to sing. The first one, Faith of Our Fathers, it just really hit me this morning how uh, our fathers, it was talking about fathers who were in dungeons and prisons and martyrs for their faith. And uh, we've gone through a generation where we haven't had to have that kind of thing. Uh, to have that kind of faith, that song talked about joy in the midst of being in prison and dying for Christ. Uh, uh, that's, that's pretty exciting to have joy, the fruit of joy, no matter how bad it really gets. Or this song, to have love that never fails. I want us to be thinking about the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is where the list of fruit uh, is found, and I'm not going to talk so much about individual fruit this morning. I, I want us to get there. Uh, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there's no law. I want us to get there, but I want us to think before we get there, we'll start next week with the fruit of love and look at it as as something the Holy Spirit produces. But just how can we think this morning about being fruitful believers? Uh, how can we uh, accentuate the, the work of the Spirit? How can we come alongside Him, He who comes alongside us, and be bearing much fruit? It reminded me of time I used to go blackberry pick, picking with my, my folks. Does anybody really like blackberry picking? I guess some of you do, because you like blackberries, right? Yeah, um... I remember one of the first few times, you know, blackberry picking usually comes late July or something. It's hot. You're sweaty. Um, and uh, I was fearful of snakes. You know, my folks were taking this kind of rake handle or something and beating down a path through these briars where the blackberries were. And I just knew some copperhead was going to come out and just grab me, you know. And uh, fearful of snakes, bees. It's amazing the number of wasps make nests in briar patches. You know, bees were hovering around, snakes were there. I just knew it, never got one though, but I just knew it. Um, itchy, uh, scratchy, thorns. You just imagine a little kid going in, wading in all these briars. And I would, obedient to my folks, pick berries. And by the time I got just the bottom of my little container covered, I thought, man, I'm doing good. Look over at mom and dad, and they had already finished a whole bucket, you know, and going on their second bucket of berries. I'm thinking, how did they do that? How did they get so much? You know, I realized, you know, they, they weren't so distracted with the bees and the snakes and the thorns, and they were, uh, they were moving right on through. How do we bear more? than we might typically when we think about fruit. How can we get more fruit in our lives, not just in our bucket? And a, a verse that came to my mind is John 15, verse 8, which says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. Christ praying to God the Father and asking that we would bear much fruit, says God gets glory. Not just through us bearing fruit, but he wants full buckets. He wants us to bear much fruit. So that's really more of my theme this morning. 
what do we need to do to get more? I'm going to assume you've got fruit. But what can we do to get more fruit, bear much fruit for God? And as, as I think about that, um, you know, you can use so many fruit, so much fruit analogy. Um, tomatoes is a fruit analogy here because some of you who are growing your own tomatoes, you're probably planting them right now. If you're planting them, if you're growing your own seeds. Now, we've gotten lazy in America. We just go to Lowe's or Home Depot and get the plants, right? But back in the day, you planted your own seeds. And you'd be putting them in cups right about now. And you would grow them inside because it's too cold outside. You wanted to keep the, the soil temperature warm enough to germinate the seed. You, you want to have enough light on it and water on it. So you, you can do that inside. And then towards the end of March, Easter comes early this year. The best time to plant, according to the old timers, is Good Friday, of course. So that's going to be the last week of March this year. So you've got to have your, your plants up, ready to transplant on Good Friday, which is about March, I think, 25th. Uh, so it's coming. If you're going to plant tomato plants, what are you going to do to, to make sure they grow? You don't hinder them, you help them. And I want us to think about the same thing with the Holy Spirit. What do we need to do to bear much fruit? Not hindering, helping the production of fruit. We saw last week, Holy Spirit is the producer of this fruit. Well, I thought of three things. We need to focus on faith, fidelity, and fruit. Get our minds off of other things. Flesh, function, frame. And I'll explain that a little bit. First of all, to get more fruit, we need to focus on faith not flesh faith in christ so maybe it would be better said we need to focus on christ not man faith not flesh unless john 15 4 says abide in me and i in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine so neither can you unless you abide in me? We're just branches. Branches don't bear fruit unless their source of, of life is divine. The vine gives us that source. Our focus needs to be then on that vine, which is Christ. Our faith needs to be that all the nutrients that we need will flow through us as the branch, as the vessels of God. Uh, so our focus needs to be there on faith in Christ. Um, he says in John 15, verse 4, he says, Abide in me. If you don't, you're not going to bear any fruit. So if, if you find yourself this morning as somebody who really doesn't bear the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, if you find rather your life is... Uh, depicted by the deeds of the flesh, strife, enmity, uh, divisions, outburst of anger. If that's what you're bearing, you're not abiding in Christ. You don't have faith in Christ. Your focus needs to be, first of all, on Christ. Am I in Christ? Do I trust Christ to be my Lord, my Savior? Do I trust Christ to send His Spirit to fill me and produce fruit through me. So good 
fruit production begins with faith in Christ. Apart from faith in Christ, you cannot bear spiritual fruit. We're going to look at each one of those characteristics of this fruit, love, joy, peace, patience. We're going to look at those to see each week how they are not just good humanity, how love by the Spirit is different than the love of man. So that's what I'm talking about when I talk about fruit. You must be in Christ to produce the fruit that the Spirit gives us, fruit from uh, the Lord. Let me give you a Three different passages that make this clear. Look at Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. And we'll see the contrast between a focus on faith and a focus on flesh. In Jeremiah 17, beginning at verse 5, here. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. So beginning the contrast, you're cursed if your faith is in man, not Christ. You're trusting in man. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind, makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. That's where our faith should be. For he will be like a bush in the desert, and go ahead and picture in your mind what's a bush in the desert look like. Usually it has no leaves, no foliage, because it, they get burned up. It's just a scrawny stick kind of thing. Bushes burn up in deserts. You'll be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony waste in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. And here's the contrast. Verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water. And extends its root by a stream. And will not fear when the heat comes. And its leaves will be green. And it will not be anxious in a year of drought. Nor cease to yield fruit. So there's, there's the contrast. We want to bear much fruit. If our trust is in mankind. If our trust is in the flesh then that's not going to happen. We're going to be like a, a bush in the desert. But if our trust is in the Lord, regardless, even if the desert were to come against us, we're still going to bear fruit. So the focus is on faith in Christ, faith in the Lord, abiding in Christ, and you will bear much fruit. Uh, it's so easy to abide in, um, in man. The words of man. Look at the Psalm 1. It's kind of the parallel to Jeremiah 17. Psalm 1. The whole psalm. It's, it's, it's a short psalm. Six verses. You see the same kind of thing. But it gives maybe a little, a little more of what faith in the Lord amounts to. Psalm 1. Again, the contrast between the fruit-producing fruit Christian and the non-Christian. Psalm 1, verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. All right, take that just a minute. That's trust in the flesh. That's trust in mankind. How blessed you are if you're not trusting the counsel of man, if you're not trusting the way of man, 
if you're not sitting under those who are despising God and just giving you man. The Christian goes on, verse 2, but rather than trusting in man, delighting in man's counsel, verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's where the trust is. And in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. So you see fruit from the Christian who chooses not to trust in man, who chooses to trust in the Lord. And how does he trust in the Lord? He delights in God's Word. So he's reading the Word to obey the Word. He's meditating on the Word. Meditate means to think about it in view of how I apply it. How do I put it into my life and live it? And that's what the Christian's doing. The Christian who has faith in Christ is doing that. The contrast, verse 4, the wicked are not like that. They are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So you see that same contrast like the, the bush in the desert. It's just going to dry up, wither, be burned, no fruit. Uh, the fruit's going to come to us determining really where our trust is. Do we trust in the Lord? And that means in His Word, meditating on His Word. Maybe brings the concept of prayer, talking to God about the Word. Lord, how does this work in my life? How do I apply what I just read? One more ingredient I want you to get. You got the Word, you got prayer as part of our trust. Think about church. Look at Psalm 92. Psalm 92, beginning at verse 12. And you think about fruit production, don't forget church. Psalm 92, verse 12 says, The righteous man will flourish, again, this spiritual fruit, like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish where? In the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap and very green to declare the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there's no unrighteousness in him. Don't miss where a lot of fruit production occurs, where we begin to flourish, where we grow. It's in the assembly of the saints. It's in the courts of the Lord. It's in God's house. It's in the church. Why does that make sense? Because here is where God fills so many people with his spirit, and we have the fullness of, of the gifts of the spirit. As we spend time with one another, we encourage one another, we build one another up. So we're, we're like fertilizer. When we show up together, we're fertilizing one another. The scripture says we, we gather to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So it's like bringing that plant out of the closet and putting light and warmth into it. And it begins to flourish and grow. There are so many people who, who try to grow as Christians alone. It doesn't, you don't flourish that way. Uh, we flourish in the courts of the Lord. So we need the Word. We need meditation. We need prayer. We need church. And all of these things is doing what? It's focusing us on our need for Christ. We must trust in the Lord and the Lord's work through His Word, through prayer, through His people. 
And God uses these things like fertilizer to nourish us and grow us, and we produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We begin to, to grow in these things uh, through that. Now, the contrast. You need to focus in. If you want to really produce a lot of fruit, you must be focused on those things, the Word, prayer, meditation, church. You must give yourself to that. What do we find ourselves doing? What, what's our natural bent and inclination? It's to trust in the words and ways of man. And if we want to have spiritual fruit, not just humanity fruit, we've got to learn to get away from that. Uh, I read an article this week called 33 Ways to Love Your Spouse. I said, that'd be fun. I want to love my spouse. And so you, you have 33 ideas. And it was interesting. They were all based on popular survey says. You know, if you want to love your spouse, you ought to do laundry with your spouse. Fold some clothes together. Maybe you ought to go to the movies together. You ought to do TV together. You ought to do meals together. How many have I given you? Four or five? You kind of get where this is going? This is the wisdom of man. It was interesting to me, as I read all 33 ways to love your spouse, I didn't hear any of the 33 saying, you need to pray together. You need to be in the Word of God together. You need to be in the courts of the Lord together. The focus for all 33 ways to love your spouse was on the wisdom and words of man. And we've just read God's infallible word saying, if you go that route, you're not going to produce fruit. You're going to be a, like a bush in the desert. That relationship's going to dry up. But if you rather give yourself to the word, to prayer, meditation, the court to the Lord, you will flourish like a tree planted by streams of water. It's so easy for us to say, ah, that's, I read this survey. It says, this is the good fruit. Instead of saying, yeah, but God's word said he created food that's good. Why do you trust that survey over this word? Our survey says you shouldn't drink that. Really? Well, God's word said it's okay and it's good for me. And we'll trust the survey over the word. Survey says this is what will fix your marriage. Well, really? The Bible says this is what it will take. And so quickly we go to the words of man and we don't find ourselves producing fruit. Love, joy, peace. Pain. Rather, we find ourselves at enmity, fighting, disagreeing over words. And that's the deeds of the flesh rather than the fruit of the Spirit. So easy to get unproductive for the Lord. Focus on faith. Focus on the faith of Christ, the words of Christ, prayer, 
his church and watch it begin to build fruit in your life rather than getting sidetracked into the ways of man. Second, if we really want to produce more fruit, the focus needs to be, and I obviously use an alliteration on fidelity, not function. Again, maybe a better way to say that is to focus on being more than doing. Fidelity to who we are in Christ, as opposed to trusting what we do for our significance. Do we really want to produce the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience? Will doing things get us there? Or if we focus on our in Christ, abide in Christ, and our faithfulness to Christ, uh, will that help us get there? One of the things I had to learn in college, because I love rabbit trails, I love I love lots of things that maybe aren't important. And I call them little rabbit trails and missing the main path. And, you know, you've got to learn to major on the majors and minor on the minors. And when you go to college, the majors are the things you're going to be tested on. They're the things that the teacher considers important. It doesn't matter what you think is important. Because it's probably not going to be on test. What matters is what the teacher thinks important. And I've given counsel over and over to, to kids going to college. I say, I say I'm, I'm struggling, really not doing it. I say, here's the secret. You've got to pick the teacher you like, one you can, you can live with. And then you've got to get into their mind. You've got to figure out what do they think is important. Because that's what's going to be on the test. You've got to learn to start focusing on what they consider the reason they're there in front of you. You've got to hear those words. Those are the words you've got to know. Those are the words you're going to be tested on. Forget all those things you considered interesting. Learn what they consider interesting. Major on the majors. Minor on the minors. Well, the same is true for our spiritual production. It's so easy to get focused on a lot of little things that, and, and miss the main thing. The man, main thing is who we are in Christ not what we do in Christ. To say it a different way, our fruit is more important than our gifts. Yes, we've been given spiritual gifts, but he doesn't say, your father is glorified if, if you really do a terrific job with your gifts. Not that that's not true, but that's not the emphasis of Scripture. The emphasis is your father is glorified when you bear much fruit. So you use the gift, but it's for fruit production, not for gifts uh, becoming more and more efficient. Uh, what deserves the emphasis, the gifts or the fruit of the Spirit? Uh, a gift would be, say, like serving, helping, administration, preaching, teaching, leading. A lot of times, man, I, I want to be a leader. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a preacher. I want to serve like that. I want to help like that. All of those are gifts. So easy to get focused on the gifts. So I, I want to, to do those things. And God said, I want you to bear fruit. Remember what that was? That was love, joy, peace, patience. These aren't gifts. These are fruits you can produce regardless of what your gift is. So it doesn't matter whether you're a servant 
whether you're a leader or teacher. You could be producing love, joy, peace, patience. If you're a leader teacher, so I'd rather get away from the stress of leading. I'd rather be a servant. Or if I'm a servant, I'd rather be a teacher. And you're constantly focusing on the gifts you'd rather have. You see, you miss the fruit. You should be producing. And again, that's so often where we go. As we, well, it's not fair. He gets to do that. I don't get to do it. The focus of both ends is gifts. Instead of peace, love. Joy in those places. God's pleased with our fruit production, not us exalting our own particular gifts. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. It is absolutely no accident this is plopped down where it is. Scripture is not randomly put together. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. Where do you find it? You find it right smack dab in the middle of a church fighting over who has the best gifts. And in the middle of this fight, divisions, enmity, strife, deeds of the flesh, in the middle of this fight, who's got the best gifts? Paul, the last phrase of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, he says, let me show you a better way. He says, I will show you still a more excellent way. He, he, takes verse, he takes chapter 12 and says, yes, you all have gifts. God gives gifts to his church. Everybody has a spiritual gift in this room. Verse 7, he says, it's for the common good. It's for, it's for people's, other people's benefit. It wasn't given for your self-exaltation. Yes, you've got gifts. Some of the most, gift, the gifts that you consider the smallest insignificant, he says, actually, those are some of the most important. He says, I'm not saying you shouldn't have gifts. You do have gifts. You should have the greatest of gifts. Great. But there's really a better way, guys. There's something more important than gifts. And then he gives them verse chapter 13. And he talks about gifts. If I speak with the tongues, that's a gift of men and of angels. But I don't have love, that's a fruit. I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift, prophecy, gift, and know all mysteries, knowledge, have all knowledge, gift, and have all faith, gift, so as to remove mountains, but don't have love, fruit, I'm nothing. Verse 3, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, that's gifts, service, helps, ministration. If I surrender my body to be burned, the gift of being a martyr, but fruit, don't have love, it profits me nothing. See, he makes the contrast. You, we get so focused on gifts, but the focus needs to be on fruits, not gifts. You will get a gift. The Holy Spirit gifts his people. But we need to learn to use whatever gift God's given us to produce fruit. It's not been given us so we can just exalt ourselves and exalt our gifts. Now, verses 4 through uh, 8 of 1 Corinthians 3, notice it's, it's a fruit list. He says, you know, I'm not just talking about love, guys. Verse 14, love's patient. And he goes on to, to fill it out. Love is patient, kind, not jealous. Love does not brag. It's not arrogant. does not become unbecoming. 
does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. You see the patience there, the kindness there. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. You, you begin to see the, the fruit list. Sounds a lot like Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It says fruit's important. And y'all's focus on gifts is keeping you from focusing on fruit. Or you're focusing on, you want to focus on your function, what you do as opposed to who you are uh, in Christ. Your being is really more, much more important than doing. You know, I have to confess, I far too frequently ask people what they do. Which gives you, leaves you with the impression that what you do is most important. Here, here's, another, here's another question for you. And by the way, guys and girls, it'd be a great pickup line, you know, for you. Instead of asking, you know, what's your major? What do you do? How do you pay the bills? What do you do? Ask the question, how would you describe who you are? Whoa, I got to think about that because I haven't been asked that. That's a good question. I haven't been asked that often. Who am I? Or another way to say it is, you know, who would you like to be in the next 20 years? Who would you like to become, say, five years, ten years down the road? It's just not a strange question. But then it begins to place the importance on who we are over what we do. Fruit versus production we even make college or even lower school elementary ed we 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 make education choices based on what we're going to do instead of on who we might become we're not even thinking in that realm a lot of times do do i just want to do things or do i want to become all that Christ has for me. That I want the fullness of His Spirit. Do I want to produce the fruit that God offers to His people? Do I want to, to be, you know, can we say, well, who, who are you? Well, I, I am I'm a saint of Christ. I am, I am a person filled with the Spirit of God. I am a person filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And then I would say, oh, fantastic. You're the kind of person I want to be around. But if I find out by asking the question, who are you? Well, you know, I really lose my temper a lot. I'm, I'm an angry man. I'm an angry woman. I like to fight I like to divide the room. I like to conquer. I like to to just struggle with you and get mad at you and and curse you. I like to just get drunk on it. Hmm. Want to hang out with that guy? That person is going to end up hurting you. 
our focus has been so much on doing that we're missing becoming and even hanging out with the people who are really being full of the Spirit. Take marriage, for example. You all know these statistics. They've been around so long. In 1910, in America, only 10% of marriages ended in divorce. By the time we got to 1948, 25% of marriages ended in divorce. By the time we got to 1985, 50% of marriages ended in divorce. And now 50% of people aren't even getting married. They just live together. What was the difference? I mean, read anything you want back around 1910, 1920. You, you see a cultural emphasis on being overdoing. If you brought your boyfriend, girlfriend home, the question was asked not, what do they do? The question was, who are they? What kind of man is he? What kind of woman is he? Where does he come from? Does he come from people who are good, faithful, committed? I remember one of the books I found refreshing and insightful directing me when I got married. Um, didn't get reprinted. The title was, I Pledge You My Troth. We don't even use that language anymore. Some of you have never heard it before. Because the focus no longer is on faithfulness, fidelity, commitment, fruit of the Spirit. The focus is on what are you going to do, how are you going to provide, where are you going to keep doing it. Do we like doing the same things instead of are we the right people? And how can we be the right people unless we abide in Christ? Nothing will happen. So I want you to bear much fruit. You want to bear much fruit. In order for us to do that, we've got to get our eyes back on the being Christ wants us to be, not the function. The fruit, not the gift. Fidelity to those little things in Christ as opposed to all the things we could possibly be doing. Third, the focus, not so much on flesh, but faith, not so much on function, but faithfulness, the things of Christ, character. Third, focus on fruit and not the frame. Uh, again, by frame, I just mean all the outward things that we attach to our lives that we think bring significance. I tell you, there was this time, I love tomato sandwiches, one of my favorite summertime treats. Uh, actually, I like BLT, because I, I like anything you can put salt and mayonnaise on, to tell you the truth. And you can do a lot of that with tomato sandwiches. Um, one year, I was going to have the best tomato plants ever. I was tired of losing tomatoes to the ground, where the bush kind of fell over and found the, the, the tomato got bad. Uh, so... One year I said, look, I'm going to splurge. I'm going to have the absolute to best, best tomato cages known to man. I'm not going to get some of those that are skinny at the bottom and get big at the top or vice versa. I went and bought a roll of wire, you know, pig wire. And I made these cages four feet tall, 
just beautiful cages. I had to cut the wire and put them in. I said, man, these tomatoes are going to come up, and I'm going to thread them all all the way up, and these plants are going to grow four feet high, and I'm just going to have the biggest, best big boys you ever saw, you know? Well, I started getting this big, ripe fruit. It just looked great. Just before it was ripe, the bottoms of all of my tomatoes started rotting in these beautiful cages. Now, those of you who know about tomatoes know that's called blossom in rot. And the reason for blossom in rot has nothing to do with the cages. It has to do with the soil. You don't have enough lime in the soil. And if you want to now put lime in the soil after you've got tomato, it's going to take, it's about two months to process. You know, you've got to get the lime in there. It's got to get to the roots, back up to the plants. It's not going to happen that season, in other words. So all of those tomatoes, they were rotten on the end. I was focusing on beautiful frames. I should have been focusing on the nutrients in the soil. The farmer who just let his plants lay on the ground had a much better crop than I did even though I had the best cages in town. How is that like our lives so many times? We can focus on the external frames, the cages around our lives, and don't produce fruit. Because we focus on the cage instead of the fruit itself. Let me show you a passage that explains this. Look at Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 20. And one thing you need to know about translations every time you read the scripture so that you get it in its context, here's a good example of it, is uh, chapters and verses were added to the scriptures, uh, Old Testament, by the Masoretes just to help us out because scripture was originally written in long scrolls and to help people find passages, go back to passages, we added the chapters the, uh, and the verses and all that kind of stuff. You need to realize, a lot of times, since it was written without that, you need to just keep reading. And I want you to read with me this morning, Colossians 2, verse 20. But I want us to go right on into chapter 3. So don't, don't pause when, in your mind when I get to the end of chapter 2. Hear God's word. Colossians 2, beginning at verse 20. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as, do not handle, do not taste, which all refer to things to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and the teachings of men. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Now, he's showing you a contrast. And you had to get into chapter 3 to get the other half of the contrast. He says it's so easy to get our eyes fixed on the, the commandments of men, or the things of men, that's the cages. See, people surround themselves with all sorts of rules and regulations. This will produce a better life. And we focus on those things. 
He says, but, 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 but I want you to set your mind on the things above. Instead of being focused on these man-invented rules and regulations, you need to have your focus on what Christ is doing. You need to have the mind of Christ. You need to be thinking about Christ. You need to be focused on Christ. You need to have Christ working in you for fruit, not these fleshly things. Now, so many ways we do this. We get focused on decorum, how we dress, how we look over devotion to Christ. We, childhood education, we want our kids to look a certain way, to act a certain way. And so we, we naturally have rules of the house or rules of the assembly or rules of society. We've got to have some rules. I'm not against the rules, but the focus becomes on the rules instead of producing a child of God. And so the only thing the child hears is all these rules. Instead of hearing, my desire for you is a devotion to Christ. I don't want you just to look and dress and act a certain way. I want you to have a mind for Christ. I want you to love Christ. I want you to have the joy of Christ, the peace of Christ. See, we're not showing them the fruit. We're just showing them the frame. And many kids grow up only seeing the frame, never seeing the fruit. There's ways you can apply that. I just want you to begin to, how can I produce fruit? I want to bear much fruit. And it's so easy to think you're doing good and all you've got is a good frame. And, and you've missed what's pleasing and glorifying to God. Let me go back to the first verse I gave you again. Verse 8 of John 15. My Father is glorified. Catch that? Glorified. By this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Our, the way we're different from the world, the way it's obvious that we are not the world, is we are those who bear much fruit. Humanity can have nice frames, but believers will have much fruit. And God will be pleased. God will be glorified. You need to let that soak. You need to meditate today on, you know, because it's really just a matter of perspective, focus. How have my focus been off? Because just a little bit off, and I'm not producing fruit. I look good to the people around me, but I'm not glorifying God. I'm not bearing much fruit give you a parable to end with. Luke 18, 9 through 14. Jesus speaking. Luke 18, beginning at verse 9. And he also told them this parable. To some people, catch this phrase, who trusted in themselves. So the parable is set up. It's introduced to us as a parable that's going to be about people who focus on flesh, on mankind. 
not on Christ. It's going to be about people who focus on the frame, not on the fruit. It's going to be about people who aren't faithful. They don't have the fruit, but they've got the ways of man. And it gives you contrast between two. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like tax collectors. Here, I fast twice a week. This is what I do. I don't do what they do. I, I do better stuff. I fast twice a week. I pay my tithes of all I get. But the tax collector standing some distance away was unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, beating his breast, saying, God be merciful to me. Notice the switch from doing to being. Lord, I be a sinner. It's about who I be. I'm a sinner. And I tell you, this man went to the house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, it should be quite humbling to be compared to the tax collector. But that's what Christ is saying. If you're a believer in Christ, you should be much more like the tax, this evil tax collector than like this good-looking religious Pharisee. Because this good-looking religious Pharisee who was a tither, who was not an adulterer, faithful to his wife or husband, if it's a woman, uh, this good-looking religious person was not producing fruit. They were all about function, about doing not about fruitfulness. They were not glorifying to God. But this tax collector acknowledged, I have nothing without Christ. I'm just a vessel. I'm just a branch. Unless I abide in Christ, I am nothing. I'm a sinner. I need Christ. I need the Spirit to fill me. I need to be different than who I am. I need to be righteous. Righteousness of Christ. So where do you find yourself? As we come to the Lord's table this morning, I think you probably find yourself like me. Lord, I just want to be nurtured here this morning. I want your body, I want your blood to, to so nurture me that I produce fruit. I want to be a vessel. I want to be a branch that's tied into the vine. And I want to eat and drink of Christ in such a way that my being is transformed and I produce much fruit. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. You're our only hope. You are our God. We've been so entangled by the wisdom and the ways of man that we even use it as an excuse. And so many times we've said, well, I couldn't read my Bible, or I couldn't go to church, or I couldn't pray with my family, because, God, you just know I'm too busy. 
I'm doing good stuff. We repent. It's not about doing. It's about being yours. Forgive us for using our actions as an excuse for being who we need to be in Christ. Forgive us for not being nurtured through prayer and the word and church. Forgive us for relegating those to a secondary importance so that our lives aren't being transformed week after week and conformed to the image of Christ. Fathers, we come to this and take of this bread and this wine this morning. We ask that we would be transformed, that we would think about the, the condition of the soil in our lives and that we would be filled with the Spirit of Christ. Oh, fill us, nurture us, transform us. Let us get our eyes back on what it's going to take to bear fruit for our God. Let it truly be a time of communion, just like a branch with a vine, where we feel, we sense, we taste, we see the beauty of being in Christ, that it produces a fruit of the Spirit we can't have any other way. Unless you are in us and with us, we are nothing. We celebrate you now. We celebrate this meal. In Jesus' name, amen.